Thank you for listening to Spanglish with Dale. This podcast is brought to you by Dale, the DePaul Alliance for Latinx Empowerment. Dale seeks to empower Latinx students at DePaul through the social, political, academic, and professional awareness of its members. And although it is Latinx-based, it is not Latinx-exclusive. For any questions or suggestions regarding Dale, email President Robbie Merkel at depaul.dale at gmail.com. Thank you for tuning in. We are doing something new and exciting with this program and are looking to be very involved with our DALE members with heavy schedules. We are a bi-weekly program and will speak on our weekly topics and give commentary on Latinx culture. The past couple weeks we talked about the U.S. involvement in Central America and environmental racism, especially here in Chicago. Before we get into that, we would like to talk about upcoming events we have here at DALE and other Latinx-based groups here at the university. Some upcoming events that we have coming up is our Concha Sale this Wednesday, May 1st at the Stew 5 to 8. We are also going to be participating in Vinny Day of Service this weekend, and if you would like to be a part of this, you can still sign up at the DePaul website. For Vinny Day of Service, we'll be volunteering at El Nasset, which is a community garden in Little Village, aka La Villita. Thank you for that, Roxana. And for new listeners here, I would just like to give a brief, brief definition of Latinx. It is a newer term that is growing exponentially and the way that we use it is to be more inclusive in the community for non-binary people. And it's also a way to remove the gender rule that is so heavily male-centered in our culture. Um, I'm Robbie Merkel, the president. Luigi Rakana, secretary. And I'm Roxana Coronado and I'm PR. And thanks for listening. We look forward to talking more about these issues. Alright guys, so the first topic that we're going to be talking about today is the U.S. involvement uh, and the U.S. relations between three countries that are normally referred to as the Northern Triangle, but they are Honduras, El Salvador, and Guatemala. On March 29th, President Trump announced that aid would be cut to the Northern Triangle and basically blaming them for the amount of migrants coming from Central, from those Central American countries to the U.S. And the reason why we're cutting off this aid, according to the president, is because that they're not doing as much as they can to solve this humanitarian crisis, this, you know, border emergency that's going on there. But what people don't really talk about is, like, the history and why, you know, we're dealing with this, you know, sudden influx of people coming in from the border. So let's maybe like talk about that background a little bit. Richie, do you want to say something about that? Yes, thank you for having me. Um, I think it's important to understand that before there were necessarily like ties with the government in these countries, there were ties with business. Um, tell me, Robbie, uh, do you eat uh, bananas that are, you know, Dole Fruit Company or uh, Chiquita Banana? Recently, no, because bananas, you know, are, you know, are the most fattening fruit. But what? I do, I, yeah, didn't you know that? No. <laughs> well, they are delicious, but I do know the brand Dole Chiquita. Why? I have eaten it before. So every time you buy a Dole banana or a Chiquita banana, it's important to know that you're buying from a centuries-old fruit company that has changed its name. And it's important to know why they changed their name. See, Dole, Dole Fruit Company used to go under the name of Standard Fruit Company, and Chiquita used to go under the name of United Fruit Company. 
These shoe companies have been around in Central America since the early 1900s. And it's important to know why they're the only names you hear of when you hear bananas. They have a monopoly that's been going on for over a century now at this point. And they came into fruition in the early 1900s around the countries of Honduras and El Salvador and Guatemala and also Nicaragua. And what they did at the time and what they've been able to do to maintain is they've bought, they have started a monopoly, they've run a monopoly of bananas buying huge amounts of land and making sure that they're the only ones that control the land. So now anybody who can make money out of bananas or make real money, by the way, out of bananas is by ownership. The people who will pick, the people who will pick their bananas and harvest them will don't make as much money as them, obviously. But because there's such a monopoly, they've been able to make sure that, hey, you either only make five cents with me or you make five cents with my competition, depending on, you know, where the plantation is at the time. So, yeah, I mean, we just see, you know, corporations having this long history of being involved in these Central American countries. And what people don't realize is their involvement has caused so much instability, so much corruption in the government. And that's why these people are coming to the U.S. They're seeking, you know, refuge. They're, they're you know, they just want a better life. And... You know, why we had like a discussion during our general body meeting. It was the first meeting. Uh, you know, like what were like some of the reactions that we got? Like, I can't really remember. Like, you know, most of them were shocked, if I'm being honest, because like most people wouldn't think bananas would be the cause of this, like one of the cause. And, you know, some people, I don't know, I kind of knew there were some things going on with like American involvement in Central America, you know, but I didn't know that it was based off of fruit to begin with. Hmm. So, um, yeah, and I guess this ties back in with, like, current, like, arguments today from business people going on about how capitalism doesn't actually work, and this could be, like, a great example of that, because America brought in its capitalistic views into Central America and basically kind of ruined them in a way. Yeah, you you definitely saw that, and, you know, when we asked our members what they thought, uh, you know, whether the U.S., has a responsibility to provide funding to Central American countries such as, you know, Honduras, El Salvador, mm-hmm. and Guatemala, um, whether, you know, it's our responsibility to help mm-hmm. them. And I was kind of shocked when people said that, you know, it's not a responsibility. Mm-hmm. But, you know, based off, you know, the amount of destabilization that we've caused in the country, I feel like it is a responsibility yeah. of the U.S. to uh, really help out Mm -hmm. in any way we can and whether that be financially um really i think financially is the only way we can help them honestly yeah because you know if we want to keep kids off the streets keep them from joining gangs uh we need to provide funding that way they can invest Mm -hmm. that into infrastructure education but there's also the problem of corrupt, corrupt government officials yes which is something that someone in one of my U.S. Uh, relations, uh, no, it was U.S., no, it was Latin American political economy, 
And one of my classmates was like, yeah, you know, like the U.S. provides funding to Nicaragua. And she's from Nicaragua. And mm -hmm. she said, you know, the president is very corrupt. And most of the funding that the U.S. provides doesn't even go, you know, towards like the everyday people. working, you know, mm -hmm. people. And I feel like that's just something that, like, you know, we also yeah. have to keep in mind is, like, you know, how the money is being spent. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, do you have, like, any takes on it, Richie? Like, what... What were your takes on this when you first heard about it? Um, from what I took of it is just uh, we need to be more aware of why we are the way we are. And what I mean when I say that is, of course, our history. Um, things just didn't magic like El Salvador didn't just magically get violent. Mm -hmm. Honduras didn't just magically get poor. And, you know, all of a sudden, United States was the only way that these people had, you know, any sort of shot of life where... They could be safe, yeah. where they could learn how to read, where they could have a career. Um, I think it's important that we understand that we've uh, caused civil wars, we've caused coups, we've caused we've caused a trajectory of violence in these countries. And the least we should do is at least respect them and know that it's us that caused it. Right. And. Well, I mean, I don't really think we caused it. I just think we, like, pushed it in a way. Like, we supported it. It was know? a catalyst. Yeah. Catalyst. It, it, is, it that, is that the right word? Like, like catalyst? the catalyst? Yeah. yeah. Um, I feel like just us getting involved and, like, making it about money as well was, like, the problem. Because I don't think we were like, hey, countries, go to fight. Go, like, go to war and stuff. It was more like they wanted more land. And that's why, like, many workers were, like, migrating also there themselves. And then, like... Mm -hmm those countries were also getting mad. And it was just like, we caused it because we wanted more money for the fruit that they were giving. And then it's just our greed getting in the way. And like their, right. their well-being as a country just went down, I guess. And we can see really the influence of the political and economic elite, not only in the U.S., but in those Central American countries. And the amount, uh, you know, your everyday working class person mm -hmm. suffers at the hand of that and all in the name of you know increasing mm -hmm. margins of profit as much as you can and you know we're just stuck or they're you know we're all stuck in this you know yeah. unfair system that uh that benefits the rich at you know what cost you know like at the cost of the everyday person mm -hmm. Thank you for listening to our takes. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back with the next topic. Okay, welcome back. So for the next topic, we wanted to discuss environmental racism and how it affects black and brown communities. So the article that I came across was on NPR. It said, study finds racial gap between who causes air pollution and who breathes it. And it's written by Jonathan Lambert. The study was conducted over six years by an engineering professor at the University of Minnesota, Jason Hill. Jason carried out a study based on, you know, who is consuming the most and who is breathing in the air pollution the most. And in the end, the study 
showed that uh, after accounting for population size differences, whites experienced about 17% less air pollution than they produce through consumption, while blacks and Hispanics bear 56 and 63% more air pollution, respectively, than they cause by their consumption, according to the study. Um, I honestly thought that this was alarming because, you know, environmental racism isn't something that's usually talked. And when people talk about climate change, they say, oh, in the end, you know, climate change and global warming, they don't see color. So, you know, what are your takes on it? And like, why is this important, you know, really important to the Latinx community? Well, I mean, for me personally, um, in sophomore year of high school, I had to do a research. It wasn't really research, but it was like looking into like public schools. And most people that you go into public schools are like typically low income. If you like think about it, like I wasn't, but still, you know, some places in some areas, especially in major cities, they tend to be low income. And so it focused on how like some of those low income were mainly colored people, and how since they were in big like. Like, you know, if pollution was a big contribution into, like, what they were around, like, what they breathed, what they couldn't. Many of them had asthma because of that, what they were brought up in. And, you know, that brings up, like, medical bills. And since they're low income, they're not going to be able to, like, have those, like, access, like, access to resources that they need. Mm-hmm. And so it just, like, I don't know, man, like, sorry. Yeah, Is just that- um, putting a, a, a number on that. It's estimated that 85,000 children in Cook County have asthma, and 50,000 of those children are enrolled in Chicago public schools, according to Dr. Andoval Armando of the University of Chicago Medicine. So, yeah, you know, like, I mean, I'm not saying there's correlation, but I'm pretty sure there's a strong correlation, you know? Like, yeah. Yeah, between who is mostly affected by climate change and who isn't, and... Like I learned in my urban politics class, I took it with uh, Dr. Valerie Johnson, that, you know, the when I went to a conference for like an extra credit assignment, mm-hmm. uh, the speaker was talking about how like asthma rates are, or the amount of children with asthma in, you know, the urban parts of Chicago, the south side, west side, they have asthma, a lot of them have asthma yeah. due to the low air quality and that keeps them, you know, up at night. They're not able to get enough sleep. And then that affects their performance in the yeah. academic setting. And, you know, we wonder, like, you know, why aren't, you know, these students, you know, doing better in school? Mm-hmm. Why aren't they, you know, putting in as much work? It's yeah. because they're tired. Mm-hmm. And it's because of this air quality that's affecting, you know, simple things just yeah. as rest, you know, stuff that mm-hmm. we need just to, like, get by. Yeah, and even Apple now, if you look into the weather, it tells you the air quality outside. Mm-hmm. And also going off of that, if the air quality is not good enough and you have asthma and, like, you just can't breathe, you're not going to show up to school. Therefore, you're, like, not going to be learning. You're not going to be growing your horizons. You're just going to be stopped because of something that you can't control. And, right. you know, you need fresh air to, like, live. You need to go outside and, like, see the sky and, like, you know, just mm-hmm. groove with the environment. But you can't because, you know, this kind of – just. I don't want to say systemic racism, but, like, it could be, you know? Yeah. yeah. I mean... Just looking at systemic racism and what we mean when we say that, it's just, it's important to understand that it was, cities were planned to have people of color suffer the effects of pollution. Mm-hmm. Because, after all, 
you know, our pollution has to go somewhere, whether if it's steam pollution, you know, you see a, you know, you see a train, whether if it's just our waste, our industry corridors, where we put our airports, you know, midway. Um, we put people of color around these places. And sometimes we don't even put them. It's like we force them to be there because if you think about it, who are most likely to leave? Those who have higher income and those who have higher, in higher income tend to be white people, you know? You think about it. Mm -hmm. Well, then what about O'Hare Airport? Because, you know, uh, I feel like a lot of the communities around there, you know, old, uh, not old, uh, I feel like, I'm not really sure, like, the I feel like the community makeup around O'Hare Airport is, like, mostly white, so, well, I, I guess... Like O'Hare is a different story, because it's one of the major airports in the U.S., so I feel like they need to have, like, a clear image, so if they say, oh, we have O'Hare, and it's producing a lot of, like, like, danger to other people of color, certainly, nowadays also, and then it's just, like, O'Hare needs to keep a image, you know, in mm -hmm. a way, because it's kind of like JFK airport in New York and like LAX and like mm -hmm. LA you know like they have a certain image they keep up keep up you know yeah okay well thank you for listening to our first podcast episode of Spanglish with Dale we appreciate any feedback suggestions or positive reactions from our podcast if you do have any of those feel free to shoot us an email at depaul.dale at gmail.com mm -hmm. signing off my name is Robbie Richie Rich. Richie Rich, what the heck? And I'm Roxana. All right, <laughs> and thank you for listening. Have a wonderful rest of your day.